Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. From the second floor of the increasingly desolate AC building, it's election shock therapy. It's about time. It's about time. <laughs> it's about place. Th- this Take is about three. strange people yes. in a stranger place. Yeah, there Can were we talk about our place for a second? Sure. Um, are you guys starting to get a little lonely down here? Yes. <laughs> the the large like sort of um, dumpsters in the hall to dump you know recycling and trash into are making me feel like right. they want us out. It's kind of <laughs> like your your office is in an alley at this yeah, point. Yeah, it is. Right. <laughs> I've, that's exactly the feel. I'm this close to opening up a speakeasy in one of the offices <laughs> down the hall. <laughs> it's okay. So, so for those of you who are not familiar with Bethel's geography, uh, we're in a building that is about to become uh, about to be refurbished dramatically this summer, mm-hmm. and it's going to be turned into physics and engineering lab spaces. We're on the move. We'll be going up to a different office, new digs, new new location, a little sunnier spot, which is sort of exciting. But as a consequence, we're some of the last people <laughs> on the chopper out of yes. Hanoi yeah. in, the, in, in this uh, in this particular location. So it's it's starting to feel a little lonely down here. Yeah, it is. But, but we're still on the AC second. Uh, we're still election shock For therapy. Uh, I'm Chris Moore, and joining me today in the studio is Mitchell Crum, Andy Bramson, and Sam Mulberry. And Sam, uh, you have. Uh, I have a what? I, I don't know where you're going. Uh, Do you have a like? Does it start with an M? Uh, um, oh, I do have a meeting. Yes. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, but before I go, I just I just want to say um, we're so happy to have you guys back on the podcast network because it really has been a I while. Mm-hmm. And this is a, there were a couple abortive attempts at this podcast uh, actually getting recorded. So I'm glad to have you here. Kind of ridiculously abortive. Yeah, yeah. Kind of in in some silly ways. Well, one was a very Minnesotan reason, which was really bad snow, and we felt like we had to beat right. the rush home. And then the other one was just bizarre. Like the power a, went out. A marginal power outage on campus that forced the childcare center to close. And because we didn't want to have my four-year-old son on the podcast, yes. we decided to. <laughs> we didn't want to go without our host. And I want to so. say, speaking as the only native Minnesotan, it's the thing that makes it very Minnesotan is not that we canceled it because of snow. It's that we had like a seven-minute conversation about should Whether we record anyhow. Yes. Right. <laughs> and then we ended up yeah. saying, you know what? It's probably best if we just go. <laughs> That's the Minnesotan part. Right. Uh, before I go, though, right. I do just want to want to plug that there's some really great stuff on the podcast network. So if you're only listening to EST, there's a couple shows you should be listening to. It's on the same feed. So if you subscribe, you should be getting this in your podcast app, and mm-hmm. you should subscribe. So, Chris, we have the 252, which is <laughs> Chris right. Moore, Chris Gertz, and I uh, doing a sports and politics podcast every week. That's really great. And then on Fridays, we have a five-minute micropod called Tweet Victory, which is kind of my favorite thing right now. <laughs> um, so you need, to be, you need to be subscribing to that, listening to that, and following at Annie underscore Berglund. Um, and at CDC Radio. You can do that if you want. I'm not going to tweet, so <laughs> you're okay on that. <laughs> Let me just say, I listened to uh, the uh, two fifty two for the last time this weekend, and it is great. It was very, it was very. Oh, enjoyable. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Doctor. What, what did you call that? What was it called? The, was it called the two fifty two? It's called the two five two. Okay. Oh, it's no. Or the two fifty two. It's you know. Not. A, is not it Saint Augustine or Saint Augustine? Right. I mean, <laughs> 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 it's going to be a question like that, maybe less important. Right? Yeah, somewhat less important. <laughs> just a little. <laughs> wait, wait. Do people really not have a consensus on no. uh, Saint, Saint Augustine? No, no, no. no there's nope. no consensus. No. Nope. Even Why? like in my classes, they won't. Yeah, yeah, people will say Augustine or Augustine. I've heard yeah. both ways. 
Wait, is, so, so clearly some surely some classicist has figured out like how his classicists name would have been are pronounced. divided. Really? Okay, I think so. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'll go with our true political theorist. That's here. bizarre. Yeah, but I mean, I've heard very good scholarly people who go both ways. I mean, yeah. I, I learned to right. say Augustine at Notre Dame, so I go with that. But well, I've heard Augustine. The mothership. And I, yeah. I will say, I'm going to play say, my mothership card. <laughs> I will say, if you listen to Augustine or Augustine's, um, uh, if you listen to his. Heresy and Orthodoxy podcast that he recorded back in the, in the <laughs> <That's> 40s. <laughs> uh, he says it both ways. Yeah. When he introduces himself, it yeah. comes out both ways. So, <laughs> well, I'm Christoph Murray, and welcome to Election Shock Therapy. <laughs> wow, I like that actually. Make that a thing. No, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Mm. Uh, we're going to uh, start today. Uh, we're going to we're going to wor- work our way outward from uh, the current um, administration and some of the key political issues in the current administration, and then we're going to transition to inevitably sigh here the 2020 election. 2020. And if you're keeping track at home, it's <laughs> Which only my 2019. Favorite, my favorite joke uh, about now comes courtesy, courtesy of Cory Booker, who says that it's called the 2020 election because there are 2,020 Democratic <laughs> candidates who are running for the nomination. He's a funny guy. That's true. Uh, oh, yeah. He's, mm, yeah. Mm. So anyway, um, <laughs> I want to I start with just ro- one real quick thing. Um, and this is Chris Moore. I'm the international relations guy. So I, I'm going to tell you the one thing you can re- comfortably not pay attention to. All right. um, and then we're going to turn over to Mitch to what you should pay attention to. But, oh but the one current thing I'm going to say that you shouldn't pay attention to is the president's, the, the White House just released their proposed budget for next year. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's when, an e-slapper. When, the, um, when the president, when the White House releases a budget, it's often referred to as being DOA. It's often referred to as being uh, um, kind of this, it's, it's, a, it's, it's essentially a statement of what the president wants it's very, it's very much the just the opening salvo in a, mm-hmm. in a, what is usually a negotiation with Congress. Yeah. This one is particularly weird in that, <laughs> for example, the president increased the Defense Department budget dramatically, but right. most of that increase went to um, um, overseas contingency operations. But overseas contingency operations contains a light item for $10 billion to build a border wall, so which is not really what we typically think of as an overseas contingency right. operation. So there's some weird stuff in this budget, and I'm quite confident that Nancy Pelosi is going to look at it very briefly and then slide it into the trash, and then they'll start the actual negotiations. So you can ignore the, the budget yeah. process for right now. Yeah. But Mitch, what should uh, people be paying attention to? Uh, well, there are uh, several things to, to pay attention to. One, one thing that I uh, found <coughs> some, somewhat interesting was there was um, a poll uh, about – uh, that was just released by uh, Quinnipiac, who uh, that basically went through and asked uh, about Michael Cohen's testimony. So for those of you mm-hmm. who are watching, uh, was that just last week? Um, all the days are blurring. Uh, um, maybe. It, was about, it was about 10 days ago. Okay, okay. So, so it was a little bit more than last week. Anyway, uh, Michael Cohen, uh, President Trump's former lawyer and uh, personal, uh, I guess, assistant. Consigliere. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> for all uh, being shady. <laughs> yes. Uh, essentially went and testified before Congress. Uh, and and basically, this this was significant for a couple of reasons. So on the one hand, there were <clears throat> um, on, on on the one hand, some folks were trying to dismiss this as you know this was all stuff that we mostly knew about or at least had had, had heard rumors about before. Mm-hmm. And so on the one hand, it felt like maybe this isn't that uh, 
big of a deal. But on the other hand, I think, and, and I saw a couple of legal experts as well sort of uh, saying this, this is significant particularly because Cohen is the first person to say on the record mm-hmm. um, a number of these things that we have sort of had in the wind. Right. So there have been a lot of reporters who have had anonymous sources, yep. which we have yep. reasonably good reason to believe are true, yep. who have reported on these things. But he's the first person to go on the record and actually testify under oath uh, that these things are in fact true, that the President Trump, uh, you know, engaged in a number of activities that are p- probably uh, not not OK. Um, to put it mildly. Um, so no, when you was, say not okay, do you mean are these impeachable offenses? I, well, as, as we've said before on this podcast, impeachable is not so much a legal question yep. as much as it is a political question. Yep. And so the answer to that is is foggy as to whether they're impeachable or not. Um, as to whether they are perhaps uh, illegal, that, that I think for the most part folks agree is maybe true, right? If, if mm-hmm. everything Cohen said mm-hmm. is right – um, the president has probably broken the law. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you think, I guess one way to think about this would be to say, were Nixon's and Bill Clinton's offenses impeachable? And right. I, would, I would answer that question, yes, right? There, there's enough, in both cases, there was enough evidence of wrongdoing that you could reasonably start a, a process to remove the president from office. And, and you, could, you could make a good case for that, right? Um, we didn't remove either of them. Nixon, because he resigned to beat that, right? Um, Bill Clinton, because he was in a strong position politically. Mm-hmm. I suspect for the same reasons, we won't impeach Donald Trump um, because he still retains enough support among people. But I think these are impeachable in that sense, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's enough kind of, there are enough legal problems there um, that this, you, you could justify that. Right. For sure. mm-hmm. w- one, of the interesting analo- one of the interesting comments I saw um, from one person too was, you know, just in the Republicans' defense, you know, it's sort of like uh, one of the things to note is is what what angle of defense were they taking? And their mm-hmm. angle of defense was not to sort of try to deny that any of these things were true, but it was instead to just try to say that Cohen wasn't uh, a credible witness, right. which is significantly mm-hmm. different. Right. Um, but at any rate, one of the things that's interesting. Um, so can, can, I, can I interject on that? Point? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Based on your read, and again, we're not pundits; we're political scientists. But would Cohen have? good motivation to lie in this scenario. So, uh, well, I think that's another one of the things that the lawyers have been debating as well. And and the answer seems to be probably not. There's not a whole lot he has to gain um, at this point. Uh, you know, he's basically already sentenced. It's yeah. not like he's getting extra leniency or something like okay. that for this that's testimony. Right. That's important to know. I, I think, and, and so, yeah, he's mostly testifying as, you know, at least, at least on his account, he's testifying because he feels like he wants to clear his conscience and right. he's, you know, right. this is, and so, yeah. And you can actually make a case he he would have some good reason to go the other way, right? To keep defending the president, right. to fall on his sword. Because, of course, I mean, the president does have the power of pardon, right? And the mm-hmm. power to commute the sentence. And so, I mean, he's you know, probably not going to do that now. No, he's <laughs> not going to do that now, right? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there's been a lot of bizarre things about this presidency, but I can't imagine Donald Trump, after what Michael Cohen did, you know, exercising that kind of leniency. And he might have, if Cohen had kind of fallen on his sword on behalf of the president and said, no, you know, the president mm-hmm. didn't know any of this. It was all me taking initiative, right? So so actually, I mean, I would say the motivation, if anything, goes the other direction for him. Right. Um, I, I think, too, even if you want to make the case Cohen's lying and he's a bad witness, which, I mean, there's some case there in the sense that he's certainly not the most trustworthy guy ever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even that ends up being problematic for the president, right, in a different way, because then you say, you know, the president is trusting this total scuzzball um, who can't be t- <laughs> trust to, to tell the truth at all, right? Um, and so when you slam him, you're saying, in, in effect, right, 
you're highlighting the fact that the president is a really bad judge of character, right? right. So, right. I mean, so you're sort of left with a choice of bad alternatives, right? Mm-hmm. Either way, Donald Trump does not come out of this looking good. Right, no. right. Yeah, and so I, and I, think, I think that's part of the reason why even the administration has had some difficulty defending this. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I, yeah, as you said, either the president has, um, you know, employed and had a close aide who has been a terrible criminal or the president is a terrible criminal. And <laughs> neither of those is, is, is really yeah. great options. Right. So can I ask you something else that I just um, as someone who's who's not in the in the legal scholarship world, I'm confused by. Oh boy, I'm not um, always the best. I'm not a lawyer. Okay, <laughs> you are the pre-law advisor, <laughs> yeah. Dr. Crum. Uh, so uh, please note that do not take Dr. Crum's advice as, as official legal advice. Right. He's not, <laughs> he is not legal counsel. Yes, but there, see, there, is, there seems to be a live debate amongst American legal scholars about whether the president can actually be indicted. And I know about this yes. more from an mm-hmm. international mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. For example, Bibi Netanyahu, the mm-hmm. um, Prime Minister of Israel, is about to be indicted by a um, their equivalent of a federal prosecutor right. um, for essentially corruption <coughs> charges. What is the argument on behalf of the president not being able to being in, be indicted? Why isn't the president treated like every other American right. citizen in this scenario? So mm-hmm. there are so there are a couple of precedents on this, okay. um, and the main. And, and and basically the guiding the guiding idea on this is that uh, the courts have generally said that the job of the presidency is so arduous already yep. that essentially the president should not be distracted by um, regular legal proceedings. Um, and so essentially the president is in that sense immune. Now, the catch on that is, is that there is not a is, is that that's that's basically under courts. I don't think the Supreme Court has officially ruled on this. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. this is basically like lower level, like circuit courts and stuff who have basically said, we don't think the president should should be under this. But the court, the Supreme Court itself has not actually set out a doctrine. And so it remains an open question as to if things got really bad, um, whether the president could be could actually be indicted. There's there's no set constitutional interpretation. So the argument for the on the one hand, right, to say is that this essentially is just part of. Um, we give we give presidents an enormous amount of executive immunity on all sorts of things, mm-hmm. and so this is just part of that. That we basically yep. say this yep. is part of the, the immunity that we give to the president in terms of you know what they have to disclose to Congress and things like that. And we just say this also extends to legal proceedings. Yep. Um, uh, or on the other hand, the other argument is, and I think you know this is why this is a live question: is does that place the president above the law? And especially right. if you have a president who is demonst- you know, has pretty clearly. Um, violated important laws, um, does that mean that, you know, do, does essentially winning the presidency give you a, a, you know, sort of a literal get out of jail free card um, mm-hmm. for, for, for serious crimes? And I think, uh, th- you know, yeah, that's, I, th- I would say part of, the, part of the reason this has never been settled is this is never, we, we haven't had a president who has probably been as vulnerable to uh basically being indicted on mm-hmm. serious crimes mm-hmm. outside of what they've done in office. I mean, if you think about somebody like Nixon, I mean, yes, Nixon did some underhanded things beforehand, but nothing that would probably easily land him in court mm-hmm. um, before he was before he was president and engaged mm-hmm. in the nefarious activities he did there. And the same with Bill Clinton. I mean, there were things that they'd done, but it probably, you know, most of that stuff had been settled or had been investigated and right. had been, there wasn't enough evidence before, right? So, right. you know, so President Clinton wasn't in a situation where that was going to happen. And President Trump, it increasingly, the more people look, it feels like the more mm-hmm. uh, they find. And so it seems like... Uh, 
yeah, it seems it seems like he might be the first person to actually test that doctrine. Um, just mm. because he's the first person to maybe have enough in his past to to make that a possibility. I mean, I do wonder, if, like, if Bill Clinton were president today, I think that it would be a lot harder for him than it was, you mm. know, twenty five years ago when he became president. Yeah. In the sense that, you know, like his his sexual history is probably at least as dicey or close to as oh. dicey as Donald Trump's in terms of like the abusive behaviors that he engaged in. And I, I do think he got off a little easier in the '90s than he would. Um, today, so I wonder if that would be more pressure. But I mean, I, I think ultimately, I am even though I am very concerned about sort of what Donald Trump has done and, and sort of the implications of that. I think there is a very strong argument that this has to be a political process for the president. That if it's mm-hmm. bad enough, then Congress has to take action to remove the president. That's why we have impeachment, um, and that you simply cannot have the president because of his role as the president, not because he's Donald Trump or Bill Clinton or whoever else. You cannot have the president of the United States. Um, having to go to court like a common citizen mm. on that, that his court is a higher court. It is ultimately the Congress. And as the people's elected representatives, they have to hold him accountable if it's bad enough. And otherwise, he has to be allowed to do his job. And you punt on those things. And it's not that they couldn't be brought mm-hmm. up in, in his post-presidency when he is right. back to being a regular citizen. Um, but that during this time, his role is more important than him as a person. Right. Yeah. I guess I'm I'm only troubled by that in the sense that him be the 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 doctrine of of the president being too important to deal with legal proceedings uh, creates a slippery slope to say then other uh, other other individuals who are also too important to deal with legal mm-hmm. proceedings mm-hmm. like could we by the same regard not indict a sitting Supreme Court justice could we by the same doctrine not in, uh, indict the the Speaker of the House um, and and sort of work and like at what point do we say no nope, that actually a member a sitting member of Congress is absolutely indictable and yes mm-hmm. we have indicted mm-hmm. members mm-hmm. of Congress and so mm-hmm. that's clearly that's clearly right. um, uh, um, fine but I, I think that's troublesome yeah. I think the I mean the argument is to like the, the chief executive is unique right I mean I, I would say those things don't apply to any yeah. of those other people precisely because they're one among several or several. many right um and and you you can function like the, the congress can function with one of its members under indictment mm-hmm. right yeah. um the supreme court could function with one of its members under indictment the presidency can't really function properly if the president is indicted and is in court right i mean like that right. is yeah. and, and and i think there, there's a real there's another slippery slope here that you'd have to be concerned about which is if you open up that door, then how many frivolous lawsuits do you get? I mean, people That's can, the concern. I start start concern. throwing that at that becomes a political strategy, right? Like right. let's let's get this keep this president from being effective by coming up with all this stuff. Lawsuits. Yeah, right. you just yeah. sort of like start throwing things at him, and you know that is, I think, a real concern. Yeah. Le- leading off of that, just sure. uh, since this is what <laughs> led me to want to talk about this in the first place, uh, the Quinnipiac poll, uh, which is which was uh, you know as far as the methodology was a very good, good poll. poll. Yeah, it was, it was a good poll, um, and basically. Uh, it, this was released on March 5th, and basically one of the interesting things related to Cohen is they asked several questions about President Trump's honesty, and they asked other questions too, of course, but the honesty ones were particularly interesting. And so, mm-hmm. as 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 you might imagine, and this you know they have they've asked this question before, and this is fairly consistent with what they've asked before. Um, but they asked basically, do you, would you say that President Trump is honest or not? And of folks, uh, basically only about 30% of Americans said that they think the president is honest. 30%. Only about 30%, yes. Now, that breaks down pretty sharply on on party lines, although not as sharply as one might think. Mm-hmm. Um, only about 66% of Republicans said they think the president is honest. Um, wow. And now, of course, 95% yeah. of Democrats do not think he's honest. 
Um, and then, of course, particularly with independents, 26 percent uh, think he is honest and only and 69 percent think not. So, you know, that's a pretty substantial number. Um, but that's consistent, actually. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they've asked this mm-hmm. question for, you know, the last, I don't know, several several months at least here. It looks like last year. And, you know, the numbers range from about 38 percent saying they think he's honest um, down to this is a low. You know, 30 yeah. percent yeah. is a low. But still, mm-hmm. you know, it's never been high. Right. Um, and then they asked another question uh, that was basically, do you believe that President Trump is more honest than most of the previous presidents, less honest than most previous presidents, or that Donald Trump was just about as honest as most previous presidents? Mm-hmm. And of, uh, of those, um, about 50% of Americans said they thought he was less honest than previous presidents. So, uh, and once again, this, this flows along ideological lines, although once again, not as much as one might think. Only 43% of Republicans think he's more honest. 43% think he's just about as honest. So I think that sort of safety mm. valve of being able to say, eh, I think he's about the same. Mm. I think they're, all they're, they're, they're all a bunch of crooks. They're all a bunch of crooks. <laughs> right. Right? Whereas, right. of course, Democrats, once again, 85% say that they think he is less honest. Independents, 50% say less honest. So, um, But then that leads to uh, the sort of the money question that, w- that sort of led to a couple of uh, headlines that led me to actually looking at the, the poll numbers themselves here. Um, was, as you may know, President Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, publicly testified before the U.S. House Oversight Committee. Do you think Cohen told the truth during his testimony before the U.S. House Oversight Committee, or don't you think so? Hmm. Um, And of those, uh, 44% of Americans said that they thought he did tell the truth, 36% said they did not, and 20% said that they just didn't know, right? Right. So that's, you know, so there's, there's a significant number there. But what is more interesting still is they then had a follow-up that said, in general, who do you believe more, President Trump or Michael Cohen? And uh, 35% said that they believed President Trump more, Mm -hmm. and 50% of Americans said that they believed Michael Cohen more. So 50% of Americans said that they believe Cohen, um, who is somebody who, as we've already said, is is not exactly your... your, (laughs) Trustworthy. Yeah, not exactly your ideal witness, but nonetheless, 50% of Americans said that they believe him over the president. Um, So... Yeah, I think that speaks uh, volumes as far yeah. as, yeah. Uh, you know, the level of trust uh, that yeah. Americans have in this particular president. And what was what was Trump's approval rating in this poll, too? That's, that's uh, the interesting piece, Approval rating uh, was 38%. Yeah, 38% so, I mean, which approval. is interesting, like, you know, only which 30%. A little, a little lower than other polls. A little lower, yes. than, but still, like, higher than the number that thought he was honest. Higher mm-hmm. than the number that believed him over Cohen, Right. right? Right. Um, so there's there's a, a sort of slice of Americans who say, I think he's dishonest. I think his his kind of scuzzball attorney is more trustworthy than he is. And I approve of his presidency, which is right. just fascinates me. Right. Like, yeah. it's just, right. It's not even like saying, like, would you vote for him over, you know, Elizabeth Warren? Right. This is just saying, do you approve of his presidency? And they're still like, yeah, yeah. on the whole, I'm going to give a thumbs up to the mm-hmm. presidency. Okay, so I have a political science question then um, for you. So how much does honesty matter in and of itself when we we survey public opinion? And how much is is honesty just a proxy for other kinds of things that actually do matter? Uh, I think that's probably a a hard question um, to some degree. I think, I think, I think, I, I, I guess I would say up until now, I would say honesty was probably more important. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, and, and when I say that, I mean that over the last maybe 
20 years. Like if you were to ask people in the 80s or 70s or something like that, you know, does honesty matter? Uh, I think we would definitely say yes. I mean, part of the reason that Nixon runs into trouble is because Mm -hmm. he begins to be perceived as dishonest. Mm -hmm. And that lack of trust is one of the things I think that sinks his presidency. I mean, that sinks his public, you know, his public approval. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because up until that point, Americans had generally thought that presidents were mostly honest. I mean, there's sort of a widespread culture that, you know, of course there are mistakes or of course people occasionally will bend the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, But in general, Americans thought that, that, that their presidents were mostly straight with them, even mm-hmm. though that yeah. probably wasn't true. Right. Um, but nonetheless, after Nixon, that really kind of dissolves. And so I think honesty has become less and less of a, mm-hmm. of a priority. And I think, I think part of what has really unraveled this, particularly in the last, and I think this process probably begins in the 80s, is you begin to get the idea that truth and honesty become conflated and wrapped up with ideology. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes less about some sort of objective truth that's out there and more about are you honest in the sense of are you sort of ideologically mm-hmm. pure mm-hmm. Um, and sort of telling the story in the way that we mm-hmm. think it ought to be spun um, for our that will benefit our particular side. And I think yep. in particular you begin to see that as you get the advent of cable news and of course that explodes mm-hmm. once you get the internet uh, and and particularly here yeah. in, the, in recent years where we have uh, the use of the term fake news, which used, to, you know, was originally intended to mean things that simply weren't true, that were factually mm-hmm. incorrect, but has been spun, um, I would say, somewhat skillfully in terms of political terms, uh, particularly by uh, a number of political actors to essentially mean fake news just means something that doesn't uh, that, that, that doesn't look very nice for our side ideologically. Yep. Um, and so yeah. if something doesn't, you know, if something basically doesn't fit the story that I want to tell, well, then I just say it's fake news. And that just means it's ideologically inconvenient or or um, makes me look bad. Yeah. I mean, to connect this to the polling you were just going over, Mitch, I mean, it's it's striking, right, that people have such a low view of Donald Trump's honesty. And yet a number of them will still say ah, he's not really that much more dishonest than other presidents, right. particularly among Republicans. Right. Yeah. That like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's dishonest, but that's just what presidents are right and mm-hmm. i think it was not always so right i think I, I look back to the same era to the 60s and 70s in particular right with vietnam and johnson followed by nixon and watergate right mm-hmm. um where people stopped really trusting presidents very much right yep. and so you, you have both parties participating in this vietnam felt like we were being deceived watergate obviously felt like we were being deceived you have a democrat and johnson republican and nixon um both of whom were not very charming leaders they were um you know competent in many ways right both of them had a lot of a lot of skills but not not people who could sort of be suave and i think after that people lost trust and and, and increasingly mm. trust has become less important and then you kind of couple that with the polarization that starts really increasing in the 90s um and it just becomes about like eh, let's get our thug in there let's get our, our crook in there right um, and at least he'll be a crook who's doing things for, you know, the right reasons, right, quote unquote. Um, and, yeah, it seems like honesty has become kind of less important. It's just more about to get your policies. Yeah. So. Le- leading off of that, actually, that's a nice segue, I think, to another article that I was reading here uh, over this last week. It's fairly lengthy, but I highly recommend it. It's by uh, Jane Mayer from uh, the, the New Yorker. Uh, it's a piece uh, of it's a pretty substantial piece of journalism. It's uh, about mm-hmm. eleven thousand words, so it's not a it's not a short read. Okay. Um, but essentially, the so, sort of the gist of it is, is she went through and essentially 
tried to catalog all of the different connections between uh, the, the President Trump's White House and the Fox News Network. Um, so essentially going through and trying to say what are the people who are, for example, you know, maybe maybe who have been recently or might actually be drawing checks simultaneously from both the White House and Fox News, mm-hmm. um, people who are sort of who have sort of a revolving door that, uh, you know, people who easily jump from one, you know, from one place to the other, Fox News to the White House, White House, to Fox News, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition to that, she also was was looking at some of the very close relationships that the president has developed with some of the uh, folks there. So, for example, uh, one of the core ideals of journalistic ethics, um, even amongst uh, people who are more opinion commentators, is that you tr- is that you yourself are not part of the political process. Mm-hmm. So the moment you become a participant in the political process, um, you know, you lose essentially any aspect of journalistic objectivity, right. even as an opinion journalist. Right. However, Sean Hannity um, has actually appeared at a couple of Trump rallies um, and has actually introduced Trump at those rallies mm-hmm. and directly participated. So that is an obvious uh, violation of journalistic ethics. And this was what got uh, uh, Mayer started on this. But she has actually cataloged quite a few other instances that are not quite as public um, but nonetheless show a pretty close relationship um, between the network and, uh, and, and, and the president's White House. Um, now, there are a number of things to think about here. I mean, one of them is, you know, at what point, uh, you know, do you essentially see an, uh, an outlet that purports to be news become something closer to propaganda mm-hmm. um, because it is, you know, so closely tied to, uh, a, you know, a direct, you know, basically the government itself. Um, and, and that's one question that she raises. But she's also simply also concerned because the president often seems to uh, take cues, particularly if you are cataloging his Twitter comments directly from the network and seems to rely more on information that he sees there at times than he does from his cabinet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these are all fairly interesting things. Uh, again, there's, she has extensive amounts of evidence uh, that she has compiled um, of, of, of these things, much of which is simply public. I mean, a lot of this is not right. – it's not so right. much that she has, you know, somehow, you know, fly on the wall yeah, <laughs> stuff. Yeah. A lot of the stuff she's doing, she's just looking at public documents, public right. things, and uh, sort of pulling it all together in one place. Um but the other thing that's interesting, and I think you know, there, there were there, uh, Politico, the editor of Politico uh, was noting right that even though this is certainly at a scale that's probably larger than previous presidents, there have been other presidents who have had relationships with folks uh, in in the news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, JFK, for example, had a close relationship with uh, Benjamin Bradley of the yeah, Washington right. Post, um, and so you know it's not unprecedented for a president right. to have a relation a close relationship with folks in the press. Right. Um, I think what. Jane Mayer is is trying to catalog, though, is as with a number of other things with this president, this is sort of a new level that you have, uh, you know, basically an entire organization that is an entire news organization Mm -hmm. that is at some in some sense very, um, very cozy um, Mm -hmm. with a a sitting presidential administration. Yeah. So let me ask you, I have some some rectitude questions, but first let me get to the pragmatic question. So uh, what Mayer is reporting doesn't seem completely surprising. I think no. if you told right. most Americans, oh, the president has a very close relationship with Fox News. <laughs> number of Fox News people have gone to work in the White House. Yeah. Number of White House people have gone back to work in Fox News. Mm-hmm. Sometimes so close that there's not much of a difference. And they'd say, well, yeah, this is kind of how it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is that how it is? And let's just say hypothetically, if a Elizabeth Warren wins the White House, would we expect MSNBC 
to have a similar effect with a Warren presidency? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the first thing as far as is this how it is, I mean, part of what's also, I guess I should plug about Mayer's piece too, is she also catalogs sort of the fraught relationship between Fox News and and, and the Trump organization mm. because the two, in fact, were uh, at odds with one another for, for quite some time. Um, and so part of what's interesting about the story she tells is this transformation mm-hmm. um, in this relationship where you have, you know, basically uh, very hostile between... Um, well, why am I blanking his name? Uh, uh, Ailes and uh, Roger, Ailes. Uh, Roger Ailes and 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 uh, and, and Trump uh, that eventually is transformed into this this mm-hmm. close alliance. Um, so so on the one hand, is this the is just is this just the way it is? And the answer to that is generally no. I mean, even you know, once again, core journalistic ethics, which I know we've talked about on this uh, yeah. you know feed before. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically dictate that even if you are somebody who is is in the opinion business, you might interview people for sure. I mean, there's nothing wrong with 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 going out and interviewing somebody, obviously. Um, but uh, but 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 you don't actually set yourself up in a situation where you are in some sense uh, working for them, um, where you are directly mm-hmm. um, involved in their organization, and particularly not involved with their political organization. You know, which is you know such as being involved in their in their rallies and things like that. Sure. Right. Um, um, and that's that's essentially one of the big differences. And, and in addition to that, you know, part of what goes along with this is there's a direct, e- even in terms of the journalistic side of this, there's a direct preference for Fox News at the president's events. So even while um, other reporters are confined to particular areas, Fox News is, uh, reporters and commentators are often allowed to, to roam freely mm-hmm. um, at the events, uh, which essentially, once again, part of the reason for that is because, you know, in many cases, there's once again a close relationship between the White House and um, this organization. And so that presents a very, you know, once again, you want to think about uh, w- what are you looking for in terms of what it means to have a free press? What does mm-hmm. it mean to have mm-hmm. actual news coverage? And if you have a particular organization that purports to be a news organization that is, in fact, more directly a campaign organization because of the close relationships, what does that mean as far as, uh, you know, what, what, what we actually have uh, in, terms, in terms of the truth in the media today? Um, yeah. And so going back to the other question, I think then about – and it's all that is to say. So the, so the short answer is this is unprecedented. Um, okay. Yeah, this, this isn't something that's – you know, even though there have been sort of hints and examples of things that might look a little similar in, in the past, there's nothing at the scale that, 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 that Mayer mm-hmm. documents. Is it unprecedented I, and the new normal or is this an aberration? I, I suspect it's going to become much more than new normal. I mean because to your question about will MSNBC turn into this or something like that, I mean, I think the big difference between MSNBC and Fox is reach, right? Like Fox is much more popular among on the right than MSNBC is on the left. So I'm not sure mm-hmm. that, okay. you know, like MSNBC does not have as many viewers. That's the probably the relevant, you know, point to bring up. I would not be at all shocked if an Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders as president, right, were to establish that kind of relationship. I mean, on the one hand, the Democrats seem to walk a difficult line with Trump. They want to condemn the sort of bad behaviors. And the other hand, you also get the sense that they might want to use some of those same behaviors because, like, mm-hmm. well, you've opened the door, so let's do it. Like, I mean, you know, you declared a national emergency for something that's not a national emergency. We might, too, right, as Nancy uh-huh. Pelosi told us. Or, you know, like, maybe we'll pack the Supreme Court. We might go back and do that, just, like, raw power grab, mm-hmm. completely ignore all kinds of norms, right? Um, and I wonder if this isn't another realm where they, they might do that. I will, I think, slightly disagree with Mitch, and we've talked about this outside of the podcast. Uh-huh. Um, in in terms of like, is this something new? And I would say yes and no. Yes, obviously, in terms of the extent of it um, in this era. And I think insofar as Fox started off wanting to at least kind of sort of pitch itself as part of the objective journalism tradition, then yes, right? 
but partisan press is not new. Um, in no. fact, the earliest press in this country was mostly yeah, partisan press, partisan. right? I mean, like the you know the Federalist Party and the Democratic Republicans had their their pieces, and they were quite hysterical about in terms of like the the level of you know how terrible these other people were and the way they were going to bring down the country yep. and leave and it often open fabulous. to this, right? I mean, all sorts of crazy stuff, right? So, um, so I think you know in that sense, Fox is sort of in a long American tradition, not a good American tradition particularly, but a long one. Um, I think what makes it s- seem more impressive is because it. it it's sort of you know you you've you've gotten this expectation of news outlets as the, like they should be objective and this mm-hmm. simply isn't it is it is in fact it ha- I think they have become a partisan and even a personalistic kind of press in the uh-huh. Trump years and I think that is po- problematic I just am not sure it's totally unprecedented I think it just seems so because of the 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 different options news has now like the fact you can have twenty four hour news you have all, you know you have Twitter, you have you know so all these different social media outlets. You have you can you have television, obviously, you have online news, right? So I, th- I just think it's their extent, their reach is much greater. But I don't know um, if uh, in that sense, I'm not sure they're wholly wholly different. But yeah, I think I mean, I so I agree with that to the extent that this is not wholly new. I I I think it I think it hurt in some ways. You know, part of, part of what has changed or what tried to change was you know you get a new con- idea of journalistic ethics, you mm-hmm. know, basically at the, around the turn of the century and especially leading into, um, you know, the thirties and forties and fifties. Um, and I, it, even though of course it was never perfectly realized, I mean, right. there's all right. sorts of ways that you can say, you know, you, there's all sorts of violations all right. over the place and mistakes yep. and yep. all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. I mean, then that, you know, that's, that's, that's true, but sort of the willfulness, I think mm-hmm. of just mm-hmm. of, of, of the violations, uh, I think are, at least, at least in the near term, are fairly, fairly yeah. uh, significant. Right. Um, well, especially insofar as they continue to pretend they're objective, doing right, objective exactly. journalism, which they're just not. I mean, like, I right. think that's, you know, we have to call it what it is. It's not, you know, what what Fox does, and for that matter, what MSNBC does, although theirs is less egregious right. because they don't have a president in the White House at the moment, right? right. But um, it's not objective journalism. It's it's journalism for an ideological point, and in the case of Fox yeah. News. Mayor's point is it's for a particular partisan and almost personalistic point, right? Right, right. Um, and that's very different than saying that the New York Times has a left-leaning editorial board, which I would say, but that's that's not the same, right? Because right. they are they are still attempting to say let's let's find the facts, let's report mm-hmm. them, and yeah, maybe we put a little bit of a slant on them, but we're still going to report them. And if they're bad for the left, we'll report them. Right? And if they're bad for the right, we'll report them. And that's not what a Fox News is doing at all, right? It's like whatever the conclu- you know what the conclusion is going to be. Um, the the right. question is just how do you find a way to get there, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know um, one of the, one of the things that is particularly, and this sort of goes back to a bigger picture, is and I this 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 is something that political scientists talked about a while ago, but you know, and also media folks as well. But you know, in in some ways, this perhaps is sort of the the bad end that we were destined for. <laughs> as soon as cable <laughs> news sort of came on yeah, the scene, yeah, I mean, in some ways, yeah. you know, cable news itself. The entire model is premised on there is enough news and things that you should be worried about to talk about yep. 24-7. Yep. And that's usually just not the case, right? There's usually not that many things that you should be thinking about and talking about 
quite that much. I mean, I mean, ser- I mean, seriously, you know, it's at I mean, least there are for better things you should be or at least things that lend themselves yeah. to easy visual representation. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We probably actually could do with a lot more information in the United States on the budgeting process. Yes. On the farm bill, on right. uh, energy policy, but those things are incredibly boring and difficult to show visually. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, yes. If, if they if they were showing twenty four seven lectures by political could scientists be good for insomniacs though on these things like um, yeah. then 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 yes it would probably help educate the Americans but wow. Can um, we sell that network? I don't 24 know. 24-hour political wait, science. Wait, wait, wait. Real quick. <laughs> Which political scientists do you want on at 3 in the morning? Like, who's your, Ooh. who's your, you got up to <laughs> feed the baby. Three, uh, 3 in the morning's not good, you though, got right? up, if you're No, on it's three, not. Like, right, right. You got up at 3 in the morning to feed the baby, and, Ugh. like, you flip on the TV to do something while you're feeding the baby. <laughs> uh, who's the political scientist do you want to see at that time? Wow. You, you're, you're watching reruns, right, of Bob Putnam droning on. Right. <laughs> I love it. Yes, that's good. Uh, like, yes. people right. aren't joining bowling leagues. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right, get out of the 90s, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, yes. Uh, but anyway, I mean, and so and so that sort of pushes you, you, you know, if you're on 24-7, you're always looking for something to sort of excite people. And yep. that leads you into this, into this avenue of wanting to do things that are more extreme. And more extremeness means you want more fighting and you want yep. more shouting and yep. um, less substance because, you know, yep. that doesn't get viewers. Yep. And so... Uh, so yeah, so 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 maybe this nice is just the, yeah. I was just gonna say maybe this is just sort of the end game of that. I mean, yeah. where the way to get viewers is to just dispense with substance almost entirely, and essentially just make yourself uh, a partisan, a par- you know, yeah. basically part of the party. I mean, people know what they're turning tuning into here, right? They want to hear affirm things that affirm where they are. They want to hear things that affirm their position. I mean, there's a reason people choose to watch. You know the outlets mm. they do right, mm. and I think cable news. I mean, it's it's you know it's a classic kind of capitalist model, right? You're, yeah. what do the consumers want? Give it to them, right? Mm-hmm. And so if Fox, I mean, your consumers are people on the right who want to hear um, how scary things are, and that you know there are people who are fighting against the forces of evil, right? Um, and yeah, they might do some bad things along the way, but they're still the good guys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and on the left again, you get the sort of uh, the opposite version of that, right? So. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think once we launch this cable news sort of phenomena, it, it you know, this is where it, it, it tends, right? And so I think part of the, you know, if, if you're thinking about this as our viewers, right, and think about, like, how do I not participate in this problem? Mm-hmm. I mean, the answer is largely, you know, first of all, seek, seek more balanced outlet, outlets. I like real clear politics because it aggregates the different things. I get to see what people are saying on the far left and far right and everything in between. Mm-hmm. But I think, too, you know, turn off the TV, uh, shut off your online news browser, and read something good and substantive, right? Mm-hmm. And go back and l- read Plato's Republic, and, <laughs> and you'll understand yeah. why democracy has the problems it does, right? It turns out Plato mm-hmm. told us this 2,400 years ago. Um, we just haven't been terribly good at listening. Not sure I love his solution. So. But. I'm not sure I love his solution either, um, but I think his critique of democracy is, yeah. he's like, it basically ends up in this crazy search for equality. You can't make any distinctions, and the problem is it tends to lead to a strong man in tyranny, which mm-hmm. sounds about right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, if nothing else, I mean, my, and this is what I tell my students in Introduction to American is, you know, you should, you should subscribe to a newspaper. I mean, that's all, mm-hmm. that's really mm-hmm. what it boils down to for me. Uh, in many ways is in and you know so long as it's a substantive newspaper it doesn't matter you know right. which one so long as it's a real journalistic outlet it can be the right. Minneapolis Star Tribune it can be the Wall Street Journal it can be the Washington Post it can be right. the New York Times it can be you know yep. it can yep. be the LA Times you know whatever you know right. but so long as it's a real newspaper that employs real journalists to go out and do real reporting mm-hmm. um, then you are you know you're you're probably in good hands so no Breitbart no Mother Jones right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no Salon <laughs> yep <laughs> Well, speaking of uh, the rise of, of uh, tyrants and strongmen, 
Um, should we <laughs> talk it's about the time <laughs> for the Democratic presidential nomination? <laughs> <Should we talk laughs> let's find our our strong man. Hold on, let's uh, say let's woman. go back and re-record that transition. Um, <laughs> we have a um, a plethora, a cornucopia, um, a, uh, a profusion, boatload <laughs> of people who um, would like to run against Donald Trump for the presidency, and this yes, is not even do. a complete list. But in no particular order, <laughs> Booker, Harris, Buttigieg, Inslee, Hickenlooper, Castro, Delaney, Gillibrand, Gabbard, Klobuchar, Sanders, Warren, that is either the Democratic field or <laughs> the world's worst <laughs> soccer lineup. <laughs> and that's 11 plus a sub, by the way. That's right. That's right. They got, they got a sub. They got a we sub. only have a couple of people who aren't running who are interesting and worth noting. I should mention that none of the uh, none of the folks in election shock therapy is running for president yeah. right? uh, yes, that yes. I'm aware of. Uh, Crum, <laughs> I believe, is constitutionally ineligible that's due to true. his yes, extreme youth. Yep. Moore and I, on the other hand, are, in mm-hmm. fact, eligible, but... Have decided not we, to we've decided throw not our hats in the ring this time. <laughs> Joining us in not launching an exploratory committee are Sherrod Brown, yes, um, uh, Deval Patrick, yes. Um, America's hot dad, Martin O'Malley, um, <laughs> and really? that's, how, that's how the media keeps referring to him, and I'm so confused by that. <laughs> and America's rich uncle, Michael Bloomberg. Um, yes. <laughs> rich, grumpy uncle. Yes. <laughs> Don't drink that soft drink. So slap, waiting. Slap. <laughs> Uh, people were still waiting on, uh, notably Joe Biden, Joe. who is apparently oh, going. Who apparently, will announce his candidacy shortly after the 20, 20, November twenty twenty. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've decided not to run for president. Yes. Uh, Beto O'Rourke, um, and apparently Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks, is still not officially announced he's running for president after possibly the worst rollout since the unicorn <laughs> latte. Yeah. And then um, finally John Kasich has not announced yet whether he's running or yeah. not. So Howard Schultz should just go, you know, make coffee. <laughs> That's my advice to him. Right. Um, yes. Joe Biden, I, I, I think, think his milk is steamed. Yep. I, I want, yeah, so good one. Um, I want Joe Biden back in. He's just so much fun. Well, and in fact, <laughs> Joe Biden value. is leading the polls in Without Iowa amongst oh. all Democratic contenders, even though he has not declared that the top yeah. of the, the Frontrunners in Iowa, um, it's it's very very close, and the numbers Ooh. are extremely stochastic. Yeah. They move around yeah, all the time, right. so this is something you should not pay attention no. to. It's name recognition. Right. But people at the top are Joe Biden, um, Bernie, Bernie Sanders, and and Amy Klobuchar. Yep. Yeah. Um, you didn't. You forgot to mention America's actual hottest dad, Beto O'Rourke, right? No, no I, he meant Jose Mario. O'Rourke is still okay. contemplating a run. Okay. As well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He's in the. Yes. Um, <laughs> Got to mention Beto. So. Okay. So. I don't want to go through and handicap everybody in this race <laughs> um, because some of these people do have some fairly significant um, um, impediments to becoming <laughs> president. Uh, like they're not going to be president. Like they're not going to be president. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm looking at you, John Delaney. Like, <laughs> I know you've been running for two years, but poor John. Go go find something else. Yep. Um, like, and Tulsi Gabbard, I think, can Tulsi go Gabbard. home. Yep. Um, I also but like on the higher the race, list. And the yeah. fact that they're in the race could be significant in ter- in for a variety of, oh, yeah. of, of um, Somebody's internecine mm-hmm. kinds of reasons. Yep. Yep. So yep. let me ask the two of you, um, as we as this race is shaping up, as everyone's sort of piling into this this mm-hmm. field, what should people be paying attention to? Well, I mean, a few things. I mean, one, fundraising is always significant mm-hmm. early. It doesn't necessarily indicate success. And here we can think no. about Jeb Bush, who raised lots of money and uh, relatively few votes, right? But, um, <laughs> yep. but you know, it, it helps. I mean, like, I think it's it's like mm-hmm. a lot of things in life, right? Like money, 
um, you know, there's a lot of studies that money won't make you happy, right? On the other hand, the lack of money, the lack of money, yeah, might make you president, um, which will, probably won't make you happy, right? But, um, but the lack of money will lead to some certain unhappiness. I mean, if you don't have food to fill your belly, if you don't have a place to live, right, that is a problem, right? And so, yeah. if you have no money, it is very hard to get anywhere, right? So, mm-hmm. people who are struggling with fundraising are unlikely to be going anywhere, right? Suggest they're not getting traction. Nobody really wants them in there. Um, that's a problem. Do we right? know anything yet to say definitively who's struggling or who's succeeding dramatically in fundraising? So the big early splash is Bernie, um, who's mm-hmm. done well with fundraising. He just got in, of course. Uh, was it yeah. two weeks ago now? Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, those Democratic socialists and yeah. their their you know just with fat cat cronyism. I know, right, right, right. It's, right. it's kind of it. ironic. Yeah. So, um, but he's he's doing a good job fundraising. He seems mm-hmm. to be building a serious organization, which is the other thing uh-huh. I would keep an eye on right now. I mean, like. Yep. You know, who are the people who are just camped out in Iowa hoping that lightning strikes? And who are the people who are actually building an organization that mm-hmm. is ready to run a 50-state gauntlet? Because that's what you have to do. And the reality is, like, it's very hard to do the old model, which was, you know, make a big splash early in Iowa, New Hampshire, and then build an organization. Everything comes too fast for that. And so I think mm-hmm. the people who build an organization who are ready to then capitalize on whatever they do in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina – um, are the ones who are more likely to succeed. Yeah. Bernie has a couple advantages. I mean, he has the advantage of having run before. This is not his first rodeo. Um, he has the advantage of people have already voted for him, and they'll think about it again. They might choose somebody else this time because there are more appealing candidates than Hillary Clinton. But but they'll mm-hmm. think about it. And and the big field, I think, plays to his advantage because he doesn't have to actually win that higher percentage. He could win primaries mm-hmm. with a lower percentage than he got against Hillary Clinton last time right. because of the number of people in this race. Yeah. Um, so the analogy I was thinking of this morning is he reminds me just a little bit of kind of John McCain's position in 2008. Hmm. He's old. He's kind of curmudgeonly. A lot of people in the party have a number of um, reservations about him, but he is familiar. You kind of know what you're getting. Um, and, you know, in, in some ways, he's an interesting corrective to what's going on in the White House right now. Um, so, you know, he he could easily kind of be get in that final conversation and maybe even win it. Um his obvious problems are, again, he's really, really old. <laughs> um, and he doesn't have great connection with minority voters. Vermont, it turns out, is super, super white. Um, and As so it he's, turns out? Yeah, yeah. Uh, right? So, uh, this is like something that like, anthropo- anthropologists have yeah. recently discovered. <laughs> yes, well, so that that's, um, I think those are downsides for him. I think he's got to have challenges connecting, and he's got to persuade people that you want to elect a president who's going to be nearly 80 on inauguration day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, yeah. And and to be honest, uh, Biden has the same same issues. Yep, yep. Right. He's almost as old, yeah. and um, and Biden. I mean, the thing Biden, on the one hand, is doing really well in the polls early on, and I think he will raise money if, mm. if he gets in. So those yeah. are good things for him. He's got a couple big issues though beyond that, beyond the fact that he's really old. And one is that he has never done a very good job running for president. I mean, he's just been mm-hmm. like he, he's the guy who always looks pretty good on paper. Um, there's a lot to like about Joe Biden, but. He just doesn't persuade people that he's the guy you want. I mean, you sort of get the sense like everybody would be fine if we end up with Joe Biden on this this ticket. Mm-hmm. But no one is really going to be like, yeah, I'm all in for Joe Biden or at least very, very few people. Right. Yeah. So I think he's got that. I think there's also just I mean, I, I, I do keep wondering, like, is the um, Anita Hill stuff going to come back to haunt him? I mean, like he and this is a very interesting year where like, you know, we're we're. We just kind of come through the Me Too movement, and in some ways, it's still ongoing. Mm-hmm. I think his handling of some of those kinds of issues might be a problem, mm-hmm. even though they're way in the past, um, and it was a different era in many ways. Right? I just wonder if that's going to 
that's going to be problematic for him. And Joe Biden, as we know, is extremely good at sticking his foot in his mouth. So, And with um, five different women yeah. running for the primary, yeah. it's hard to imagine it won't become an issue. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So yeah. I don't know. I am skeptical of his ability to actually pull it off, but we'll see. Yeah. Yep. Is there someone... Uh, I, sh- I don't even want to ask this, but I'm going to. Is there someone who is not at the top of the um, top of the sort of favorites list right now? So if you think about the Republican primary back in 2016, yeah. the early favorites were people like Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush, yep. and both of whom uh, dramatically underperformed yep. in a yep. very wide open field uh, where people could perhaps succeed by appealing to a mm-hmm. staunch base rather than the party as a whole. I'm thinking like Donald Trump here especially. Right, right, is there right, somebody right. who's not an obvious pick, but who might be able to slingshot themselves past more traditional candidates because of uh, because of the because of the breadth of the field? Well, I I mean I'll put in a good word for our senior senator from Minnesota. I mean I think that there's a lot to like about Amy Klobuchar's candidacy. She has won in a state that is much more of a purple state. Um, so even though we both vote blue in presidential elections, um, we've you know we've become increasingly um, you know pretty even between Republicans and Democrats. Mm-hmm. Republicans control the state Senate here. They recently controlled the state House, um, and she's done really well winning across lines here. Um, she is obviously. Um, a female candidate. She's a very experienced female candidate. Mm-hmm. She's got experience at local level in kind of the law enforcement side. Um, she's got experience in Senate leadership. Um, and, you know, she's she's reasonably young compared to a number of the people. And mm-hmm. I'm looking at you, Biden, Sanders, and Warren, <laughs> right? We're all not reasonably young, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, you know, close to Iowa, right? So she, you could imagine her making a splash early there. So, I mean, she's someone who's right now not registering very much in the polls. But if she goes to Iowa and does well, um, and especially if she ends up in, say, like it ends up being her and Bernie and Biden or something like that, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think she becomes a very mm-hmm. interesting yeah. prospect because then it's like, do you want to kind of go with the future and someone who has, who's able to strike a more moderate tone than, say, Bernie Sanders um, and someone who's younger than those guys? So I could, I can see her path. I don't think it's the most likely scenario, but right. she would be – it wouldn't surprise me if she, she jumped up with it. I think my issue, my concern about, um, about Amy Klobuchar is that – um, prior to um, her announcement to run for president, her, the biggest knock on her was that she's not particularly charismatic, right? Um, not particularly yep, uh, yep. Uh, a, work, a senatorial workhorse, but yep. not someone who right. um, lights mm-hmm. fires. I agree. But now the other issue is that she might be a mean boss. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, I just, and I don't know yeah. that I, I, because the field is so wide open because there's so many candidates. I think little things mean a lot. And I think this could be the kind of thing that makes donors potentially shy away from her. And she needs money. Maybe. I, I just, I'm not sure that's the worst thing for her. Like, I guess, do, do we care that much? I mean, like, Donald Trump is, by all accounts, not a nice boss. Um, right. But, but, I think but he is president. come into, pl- into play here. And I think, right. a, I think a female mean boss yeah. is a very different thing than a male mean boss. Yeah, maybe, except that I would say I'm not sure does it, like, it might mean people don't really particularly want to work for her, although people obviously still do work for her. Um, I just don't know, like, you, I guess there's a way to spin this that's positive, right, which is to say, like, and that's what Klobuchar's tried to do, right, which is to say, I'm tough, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I expect results. And honestly, I'm not sure that's terribly unusual in presidents, that they're not the easiest people in the world to oh, work I agree. Um, I totally agree. So, yeah. In terms of bad stories, I guess this is a, ter- a not terribly bad story, but... Maybe it'll hurt her. We'll see. Okay. Yeah. Um, last thing. Uh, Bill Weld <laughs> is running as a Republican <laughs> challenger uh, to Donald Trump. Uh, is this 
Bill Well deciding he doesn't <laughs> want to be in politics anymore, or is this just um, do we should we pay any attention at all to this? I would say at this time, no. Yeah, I mean, um, only if, if you really enjoy paying attention to Bill right. Weld. Yeah. Uh, almost it, no one does. Almost right. no one does. That's one of his so many problems. Right. <laughs> I, the, the only time you would want to pay attention to it, and I would say probably not even with Bill Weld, if, if John Kasich or somebody of that caliber were to declare um, a candidacy, and if President Trump were facing credible impeachment right. um, proceedings, then you would want to pay attention to it because essentially, yeah. and especially if you, especially if the Republicans in the Senate were starting to give hints that they might go ahead and convict him and remove him from office, mm-hmm. um, then you might want to pay attention because it would not. Then it would turn into it's not President, it's not Trump that they would be running against. It would be, uh, you know, who who are we actually running against? It might be Pence, and so that would be the only situation I think to pay attention to who um, is running against. Yeah. Is running against it him. won't be Bill Bill Weld though. I mean, it won't be Weld. like I mean Bill Weld is. He's a Republican from a previous era. I mean, and, and yeah. those of you who yeah. don't have forgotten this, like he was the Libertarian vice presidential candidate in 2016, right? So, but he's a Republican from a pre- previous era when there used to be these this creature called liberal Northeastern Republicans, right? <laughs> who were socially moderate to liberal, um, kind of still conservative on fiscal issues, right? right? Yeah. I mean, his, like, where are his voters in the Republican Party, right? I mean, a few old people of that sort is still in the Northeast, maybe, but I mean, like, they're just part... His, his explanation for like, why he was running was he has several billionaires supporting him. I mean, <laughs> right, that's not right. the best rollout to appeal to the, com- the country. I love it so much, yeah. I am no, well, and he has nothing else to do. I mean, like, you know, he's old, yeah. he's retired, like, why not run for president? Like, so, I don't blame Bill, but I don't think, you know, you need to worry about him. And I, if I was Donald Trump, I wouldn't give him um, two thoughts. Yeah. So now I'd, I'd give John Kasich, or more importantly, I'd give Mitt Romney some right. thoughts. Right? right. I think exactly. Romney's the interesting one. If yeah. you know, if Trump starts to descend in terms of numbers, right? Does Romney think about it? I mean, mm-hmm. Rom- we know Romney wants to be president. He's tried twice before. Um, he yep. is, uh, you know, definitely running out of chances. He's going to be seventy-three on election day in twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, I could imagine a scenario if Romney thought he was vulnerable enough that mm-hmm. he could throw his hat in. Right. Um, I don't think that's likely. I think the tr- president retains tremendous support among the party base, and I think he's likely to continue to do so. But, but you know, depending on how 2019 right. goes, you could imagine that happening. And Romney could crank up a, an organization pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I, I find it hard to imagine a scenario in which Kasich's a, a real threat, but, but maybe. All right, guys. Well, unfortunately, I have a meeting now. Yes. <laughs> so um, we're going to need to sign off here. But uh, we're gonna, we'll be trying to be back in your news feed a little bit more regularly, <laughs> yes. um, with uh, um, with hopefully snowstorms coming to coming to an end here now that it's March. But who knows? Yeah. And uh, thanks for listening to us. You can always reach out to us at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. You can also email the overall show feed at live from AC second at gmail.com. Uh, stay tuned later this week for another episode of Tweet Victory, another episode of the 252. And uh, we'll be back. Oh, On behalf of my colleagues here at Bethel University, thanks for listening and go Royals. <laughs> <laughs>